Well, Merry Christmas to the Coachella Valley, to Southwest Church, and to wherever you may be enjoying this worship experience around the world, and even you, I say Merry Christmas and welcome to Southwest. We are a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, intergenerational church, and we love uh, discipleship. And we're so excited to begin uh, what we call the inauguration of the Advent season as we move forward to celebrate the greatest thing that ever happened to us is the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. When you hear Advent season, that is exactly what we mean. It is Advent season at Southwest Church. Of course, the word Advent was a word used by the church throughout the centuries, and the idea is coming. Uh, Advent at Christmas times means that we as a community of believers are celebrating the coming of Jesus. It is in the spring during Easter where we say to the world, he is risen. But it is during the winter when Advent is here that we announce to the world that he has come. And when you hear Advent, that is exactly what we mean. It's that time of year, Southwest, uh, where we as a church traditionally dust off some old and familiar passages, but to uncover fresh and revelatory meaning as to what it means for us that Jesus Christ has come into the world. When we say Advent, it's our idea of not allowing the trappings that come with Christmas to get us trapped. It is not allowing the trappings that come with Christmas to get us trapped, but we move past the materialism. We move, move past the hustle and bustle of the season to go back to the center of God's word. This is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so today we uh, begin our Christmas Advent series, a series that we've entitled Unexpected. When Jesus came, uh, he came in the midst of a dark and chaotic world, uh, but God, in the midst of that sadness, in the midst of that depravity, in the midst of that hopelessness, God brought Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, as an unexpected blessing. So when we say unexpected, that's what we mean, that in the midst of calamity and chaos, God brought calm through Jesus Christ. And now for those of us who know and love him, he now says, this Christmas, beg the question as to what it would look like for you to bring unexpected blessings to the people around you in your world. Unexpected hope and unexpected peace and unexpected joy and unexpected love. These are all the things that we have the opportunity to do this Christmas season. And so I am joined today and uh, proudly so uh, by men and women of our first responders community. Uh, they have partnered with us today just to come and be present in our hope and in our opportunity to honor those who honor us. Uh, these are men and women of our first responders community. They are law enforcement officers. They are uh, men and women of our armed services community. They are our nurses. They are physicians. They are the people who care for us. And it is our pledge to you to be a church that cares for you, cares for your families. I thank you for what you do for our neighborhood. I thank you for what you do for our valley. And on behalf of all of us here at Southwest Church, we know that you are the heroes. And you are heroes precisely because when crisis comes, you don't turn your back on crisis. Rather, you turn your face towards it and you run to wherever the trouble is and you do something about it. So in many ways, you are very much our symbols of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we celebrate a gospel that says that Jesus saw the crisis of our sin. He saw the crisis of our calamity, but he didn't turn his back on us. Rather, he turned his face towards us and ran to where the trouble is. I want to thank you men and women on behalf of Southwest for running towards the trouble, for running towards the brokenness, for running towards the sick and the hurting and doing something about it. And it's our hope that this Christmas we will follow your fine example and bring that same level of blessing here to our families, to our valley, and to the world around us.
Uh, I got a lot of fish to fry. I don't have but a few minutes to cook it. Uh, The staff insisted that I keep these sermons for Christmas to 20 minutes. And to make sure that I keep it at 20 minutes, they have surrounded me with men and women from our law enforcement community to make sure that I don't go over our deadline. But I want to go ahead and get to work. And I want to go to an unusual passage here. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The context, of course, is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, given this opportunity to love God fully and to obey him. Yet, uh, like so many of us, they turn their back on God and they sin against him. They fall from grace. Uh, But in so doing, we see this awesome, awesome truth that when we turn our back on God, God never turns his back on us. And in the chaos and in the sin and in the hopelessness, God announces to Adam and Eve that I'm going to send my son Jesus to do something about what you've gone through. And in so doing, it becomes the first Christmas announcement in our Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this particular verse, God is talking to the troublemaker, Satan himself, and he says to him these words, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I've read from the greatest book ever written, and I bear witness this day that all of its words are true. Amen? Amen. It would have been um, been 1996, um, actually 20 some odd uh, years ago. And all I can say about the story that I'm about to tell is that it was supposed to be a bad Christmas that year but it ended up being the best Christmas I have ever had. It was 1996. It was supposed to be our our bad Christmas, but it ended up becoming the best Christmas we ever had. Now, what you need to know is that the Jenkins family uh, loves Christmas. Christmas is like our Super Bowl. We turn up when it comes to Christmas because just like for you and your families, Christmas spells different kinds of things for our family. The first thing is the obvious. Uh, For the Jenkins family, Christmas spells tradition, right? You got the Christmas trees and the decorations and all the garland and all the stuff. And uh, you've got all the hustle and bustle of getting everything ready. You've got uh, the big day where you go down to grandparents' house. And uh, where I come from, you don't have 10 cousins, you have 10,000 cousins. And uh, every Christmas day is going to be the famed football game. It's you and the cousins you like, versus them and the cousins you don't like. And it's just a wonderful tradition where we kind of get involved because it's all about their tradition. So Christmas for us spells uh, tradition, but can I get a witness that Christmas also spells food? I'm going to say it one more time. Christmas also spells food. And let me just go with my sanctified imagination as to what we would enjoy on Christmas Day. Uh, You had four meats, okay? Because the idea was Trinity plus one to make sure you had everything covered. So you had a Holy Ghost roast and you had a jerky smoked turkey. Not no spam. You had a honey baked ham. And just in case you missed something, you had a whole slew of Popeye's famous fried chicken and biscuits to make sure that everything was covered. You had green beans and collard greens and mustard greens and cornbread and black eyed peas. You had macaroni and cheese. And the way we did it was you had macaroni and cheese with a whole layer of cheese on top. And if you were blessed, there was a whole layer of bacon bits just all on the top, ooey and gooey in Jesus' name. And of course, you had uh, the turkey with the dressing, right? In the South, we don't call it dressing. That's, uh, we don't call it stuffing. 
That's not of God. We call it dressing. I don't really know why, but we just called it dressing and the cornbread dressing. And you didn't have real cranberry sauce that you can still see cranberries that was homemade. You didn't do that. You went to the dollar store and you got a can of cranberry sauce that when you opened it and it came out, it still took the shape of the can. That's how you do cranberry sauce. And you had all the pies, okay? Sweet potato pie, potato pie, uh, uh, pumpkin pie, chocolate pie, pecan pie, red velvet cake, and then you go right back to the pies. You had a lemon pie, meringue pie, and you had a key lime pie. I got a pie, you got a pie. All of God's children had a pie because for our family, Christmas spells food. But as kids, you remember this growing up as kids? You couldn't wait for Christmas because Christmas meant toys. Right? Christmas meant toys. Now, look, in the South coming up in the 80s, you didn't have Amazon.com. That's not a God. You didn't have Target.com. You didn't have no Etsy app to find your stuff. Can I get a witness that what you had was the annual Sears toy catalog? Can I get a witness up in here? There was a catalog that was this thick. And it would come every November to the chagrin of my parents because every day you would fantasize about what you were going to get, what Santa was going to bring you. So for the boys, you had G.I. Joe, you had Transformers, you had He-Man and She-Ra, you had Etch and Sketch, you had Connect Four, you had Voltron. Some of y'all may remember that, but you had all these sorts. If you were a gal, you had Lie Bright light bright, turn on the magic of colored light. And you had, let me see, Barbie with accessories. And you had uh, strawberry shortcake. And you had all these wonderful toys if you were a girl because Christmas for us spelled toys. But this was 1996. And this year was going to be a bad Christmas. And it was a bad Christmas because my mom, uh, God rest her soul, only had a few weeks to live. Uh, The cancer had torn away her her body, uh, mama was less than 100 pounds at this point. She was bald-headed from the chemo and radiation. Some of her brain function was beginning to wane, and we knew that there was only a few weeks left that mama was going to be around. So you need to know, whereas we had a history of all these great Christmases, 1996 was the year that was supposed to be a bad one. So there weren't any decorations that year. There wasn't any trees that year. We didn't cook that year, we just kind of decided we would exchange a couple of gifts and get on through the day because there was just a weight of cancer that was hanging all over our Christmas that year. However, my baby brother, Jadrian, we call him Jaybird, uh, had uh, settled in his heart that he had to have a shotgun uh, for Christmas. Uh, he couldn't have been older. Um, I guess he would have been 12 years old, and he wanted a 20-gauge shotgun. Just had to have a 20-gauge shotgun. Begged for it all year, but my father felt he was too young. So all year, Dad was telling Jay Bird, you ain't getting the shotgun. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So here we are going into this gloomy Christmas. And we start exchanging a couple of gifts. Not a lot of joy. Not a lot of laughter that year. I never forget towards the evening. Um, we've already cleaned up the gifts. We've already put everything away. And... Uh, couple of things left on the floor. And dad says, Jaybird, go to the broom closet and get the broom. I want you to sweep up this little mess that I see. And Jaybird methodically walks over to the closet and he opens up the door wide and he yells out to the top of his lungs, Mama, Daddy, you got my gun. And he closes the door and he runs into my daddy's arm. This little 12-year-old boy is weeping crocodile tears, thanking his daddy for his shotgun. And I'll never forget glancing over at my mom, who didn't have even enough strength to talk, and I saw a little tear of joy streaming down her face. And as Jaybird came over to hug Mama, 
she pulled him close and gave him some sugar on his lips and says, see, buddy, it was a good Christmas after all. It was supposed to be a bad Christmas, but it ended up becoming the best Christmas. And what I want you to hear is that sometimes in a bad season, you can still have a great Christmas. Sometimes in a bad season, you can still have a great Christmas. And I say that not just to you here, but to you out there. Maybe everything in you is saying this is the year that it's going to be a bad Christmas. Political upheaval. This pandemic continued to wage war against our normalcy. Seeming like people are no longer living in the middle, but everybody's mad at each other on the ends. And it seems like this is the year where everyone has accepted the fact that, yeah, maybe it's just not going to be a normal Christmas, but maybe having an abnormal Christmas where we get away with the trappings and do away with the trappings of Christmas and get back to the heart of Christmas. Maybe that's what's going to make this a great Christmas after all. And that's my hope that a bad season can still spell for us a great Christmas. When you come to Genesis 3.15, that's the idea. It's a bad season, but in the same moment that there's a bad season, it is the announcement of great purpose. It's Jesus Christ coming into the world someday. Uh, real quickly, Genesis chapter 3, 15, it's just Adam and Eve. They've been created for purpose and perfection, but they lay it all down for rebellion and ruin. They've sinned against God. They deserve death, hell, and the grave. But what I want you to see, which is the real big idea, is at the same time that there was the most grievous sin came the greatest of announcements. At the same moment where it's the most grievousness of sin and hopelessness and despair becomes the same moment that God, in the context of despair, in the context of hopelessness, in the context of defeat, announces that hope is coming. And he says to Adam and Eve, who have sinned against God, who are getting kicked out of the garden, God announces to Satan, there may be enmity between man and woman and between humanity and the forces of darkness. But God says, I'm coming in the middle of that thing and I'm gonna bring my son to bring hope to the world. When you come to Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that is essentially the announcement that at the same moment that there was a great tumult was the same moment there was a great hope. Jesus saying, I'm going to come and fix the problems of the world. Real quickly, theologically, I would do you a disservice were it not to explain what is happening here. Adam and Eve have sinned, they've transgressed. They got to get kicked out of the garden, all these sorts of things and realities are coming to the world because sin has now entered into humanity. But notice that in the same moment that they're losing everything, God announces that you're going to gain something even better. And that's the coming of my son to redeem you and to love you and to partner with you when times are tough and to protect you when you feel fear and to come through like a rushing mighty wind to bring you hope when there's hopelessness all around you. I love this passage. Because God has just got through scolding Adam and Eve and saying, hey, you got to get out. I'm going to love you, but you got to get out of here. But then he goes to the troublemaker, Satan. And in verse 15, he's talking to Satan himself. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is God at the onset of time and humanity announcing at the same moment that they messed up that he's sending his son to make it up. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. That at the same moment we messed up, God said in that same context and climate, I'm announcing that I'm going to make it up by giving you my grace poured out through Jesus' blood on the cross. And I love the verse because God says to Satan, you may have thought you won the battle today, but I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, which is God's way of saying through that woman's seed, Jesus is coming. 
and he's going to get you back for what you did to them today. The word enmity is the Hebrew word abal. Abal is the idea of hostility. And what God essentially here is saying to Satan is that you may have been hostile to my children today, but I'm bringing hostility back your way when I allow my son to be nailed on the cross and be risen again. And that's a word to somebody today because 2020 has been hostile. Can I get a witness? But God says trouble don't last always. What causes you trouble? I'll bring trouble to what brings you trouble through your faith in Jesus Christ. So this is all I want you to see. When hostility comes, Jesus says, I come to bring you hope in the midst of hostility. Jesus comes in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that muck, in the midst of that mire. He comes in that to bring you hope. Now, why why does this preach? Like, why am I turned up about this? Like, why am I excited? This is why. Because in the climate of their sin, God brought calm. In the hopelessness of their situation, God brought help. (laughs) In other words, it's not God saying to Adam and Eve, hey, go figure out how to be perfect, and then I'll come back and bless you. It is not God saying, go fix yourself up and wear the right clothes and say the right things, and then I'll come back and bless you. It's not God saying, go figure out all the the ins and outs of walking holy before me, and then I'll come and I'll affirm you. No, it is why they were still a mess that God said, I'll make it up for you. While you're still bad, (laughs) I'll be a blessing. While you're still in shame, I'll come and bring you a savior. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the gospel, that God is not waiting for us to fix it. He fixes it for us on our behalf. In the midst of hopelessness, The coming of Jesus means hope. In the struggle, the coming of Jesus means strength. In the calamity, the coming of Jesus means calm. In so doing, he brought them unexpected hope. This was the good news for Mary, a poor little desert girl, (laughs) 14, 15 years old, unseen by her world, but the angel says, you are the favored among women. He brought hope to her. This is what it meant for Elizabeth, the mom of John the Baptist, well past her baby, making years, giving up, looked at as a reproach among people in her society because she'd never had a child. And the angel comes to her and says, God's going to bring you hope. This is what it meant for poor shepherds on the side of a hill one night tending their sheep. And the angels announced to them, the lowest of the low, the shepherds, that hope is coming. This is the good news for the wise men. This is the good news for us that in the midst of what we're going through, Jesus brings us hope. So here's the application if we round third and head into home. Here it is. If Jesus brought you unexpected hope, maybe he wants you to bring that unexpected hope to the people in your world this Christmas. That's it. That's it. Unexpected blessing, unexpected hope, unexpected peace, unexpected redemption. And now God says to those who have received my hope, now bring unexpected hope to people in your world. You see, everybody in this world this year wants to be upset. Everybody wants to be mad. Everybody wants to throw away their common sense. What would it look like for the church of Jesus Christ to remind ourselves that no matter how the world is going, we are the ones who bring the hope. We are the ones who bring the clarity. We are the ones who bring the calm. We are the ones who bring the peace. If Jesus brought unexpected hope, now you do it. Get out of where you are and go to where somebody else is and bring that hope. Stories told of a a dad who worked as a professor and he had three little boys, all under age eight. 
<laughs> and the problem for this professor dad is that he worked upstairs at his house. And so he would work upstairs while the sons would play uh, downstairs in this two-story house. And so one day he's just working away, but all he can hear is that the boys are getting into every kind of fight under the sun. And they're just fighting and boxing and just tearing up stuff. And as a parent, he does what every parent does. He comes to the foot of the stairs and he yells down. And, and well, first thing he does is he just waits to see if they're going to figure it out for themselves. And of course, five minutes pass, and it's obvious that they're not going to figure it out for themselves. Second thing, Paris, you know what he does next. He comes back to threaten them. <laughs> and he comes back and says, hey, if y'all don't figure it out, I'm going to come down there myself. Five more minutes, they're still fighting. So he comes back to the bow of the stairs the third time, and he sees and hears that they're still fighting, and so he had to finally keep his word. He had to leave upstairs and come downstairs because nothing short of the father leaving where he was to come down to where the children were would fix the problem. And when we say Advent and when we say unexpected and when we say Christmas, that's what we mean. There was a father upstairs who left the comforter upstairs to go downstairs and fix the problem that only his presence could fix. In other words, Jesus left upstairs and he brought hope downstairs. And that's our challenge this Christmas here at Southwest. It's for us to move past the trouble, move past the cultural chaos, move past the nuttiness, and figure out ways and relationships and conversations where Jesus wants us to leave our upstairs and go to someone else's downstairs and bring them the hope of the gospel. Leave upstairs. Go downstairs to bring somebody some hope. I've got a friend back in Tennessee, Hamp Holcomb is his name. Hamp's probably about 60, 65 or so now. And in Memphis, Tennessee, we have something of God called the Waffle House. Uh, the Waffle House is open at all times, and you can get, it's the only place in the world where you can get a patty melt sandwich, a waffle, and hash browns covered with cheese and onions and everything else that gives glory to Jesus, okay? Uh, Hamp's actually a man of means. He can go to any restaurant he wants to, but every Christmas Eve, he and his family purposely go to the Waffle House. A Waffle House is kind of like a trucker's stop. Is, um, let me just put it this way. If you're at Waffle House on Christmas Eve, you're not doing too well in life. But every, every Christmas Eve, he finds a different Waffle House to go there, and he and his family have their dinner. And then at the end, they pay their bill, and then they look at the whole restaurant and say, God bless you from the Holcombs. We love you guys. Merry Christmas, and we're always praying for you. And then they leave, and it's a few minutes later, that the manager of Waffle House announces to them that everybody's bill has been paid. You see, Hamp leaves upstairs and he goes downstairs to bring someone unexpected hope. This is what happens every year when my family of family uh, members up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, they're a bunch of singers and piano players and guitar players, but they have this grandiose Christmas dinner at their house and all the fixings, uh, but then they leave Christmas at 12 o'clock at their house and they go to every nursing home in their city and they sing carols and they play piano and they bring gifts to the people who don't have the Christmas joy that they do. You see, they leave upstairs and they go downstairs. This is what happens every year when my wife uh, makes homemade cookies on Christmas Eve uh, and she finds a local precinct, fire department officials and law enforcement officials come into a uh, precinct near you this year. She brings a couple of few dozen chocolate chip cookies with cold milk to bless you. See, she leaves upstairs and goes downstairs. Christmas is all about us leaving upstairs and going downstairs to bring someone that hope. And so whether it's going to be Christmas dinner 
this year, whether it's going to be uh, when you have that Christmas party, whether it's going to be uh, when you show up well for your community, no matter what the case may be, God says, I brought you unexpected hope. And now I want you to consider bringing unexpected hope to the people in your world with the love of Jesus Christ. I say thank you once again to you, the men and women who protect this community. We will do our best as a church forevermore to come alongside you and your families, that we might be a blessing, not a burden, that we may be a help in these times of otherwise hopelessness. Thank you for being who you are to us, and thank you for being who you are. And beg the question this Christmas what it means to bring unexpected hope to the world. Until we meet again, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord our God lift up the light of his countenance upon each and every one of you and bring you peace. This Christmas, we ask this blessing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, and amen. Merry Christmas, everybody.